And now, coming to you from the Gershwin Room, high above the Coot Street Motel 6, it's just in time for Gary's dinner, it's the Coot Street Podcast! Our timing could not be better, because if we do this before dinner, I'm, I'm hungry, I'm ready to talk about new books. That makes no sense at all. I don't know why being hungry makes you... More eager to talk about books. <laughs> well, we're hungry for new books. That, that you're focused, you're full of energy, you're just yeah, waiting, exactly. unless you're lethargic and kind of not interested. But anyway, but here we are. First of all, Happy New Year, Gary. Actual Happy New Year. We're both in 2019. And so far, our government has shut down as we speak here in the United States. <laughs> but in fairness, it was shut down before the new year, wasn't it? Uh, well, yes, it was, but nobody expected it to still be shut down. Well, you have a, uh, well, one of the things I mentioned, uh, which I think I mentioned this probably in, in the uh, Year in Review essay, which you and I have both written for the February issue of Locust Magazine, we can plug that, is that yeah. uh, people have given up on going back and finding science fiction predictions of the current state of affairs in the world. It's, uh, there was a lot of talk about Oct- Octavia Butler last year, Parable yeah. of the Sower. There was a lot of talk about – I even found one myself, an old Tom Dish story called The Great Wall of Mexico from like mm-hmm. 1967 or something. So, yeah. But it, now, people, now there's a sense of resignation, a sense that, okay, you know, dystopia is no longer a novelty. And Well, I don't looking, like novelty. It feels like a thing. I feel like everyone's tired. Well, that's the thing. And all it's the predictions the are bleak. You know, I read one yesterday. They say that by 2048, all of the fish, the saltwater fish in the ocean will be extinct. All of them. Unless oh. we change. Everything's like, unless we change. Yes. But Which saying. we are probably not going to do. Who knows? I guess the thing that, uh, that, okay, here's the thing I'm not looking forward to. We're talking about what we are looking forward to in 2019. I'm not really looking forward to any more grim dystopias. It's like, okay, we're, we're, we're trying that out for real. We don't need to read about them anymore. I don't know. I, 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 I take your point. I think there's you know, validity in it. But I also see that it's part of how we're working through the question of how we feel about and deal with today. But the best books that I've, I read last year, uh, the, of the handful I did, mm-hmm. were both realistic about what was happening and engaged with how the future could continue rather than how it was all going to be the end of all things. Well, I think that's what sophisticated writers do. And we talked about this even at last year when we were doing the year in review from 2017, that a sophisticated writer like Kim Stanley Robinson in New York 2048 is not doing a, a, a catastrophic. He said, I think he said it's a catastrophic, but not an apocalyptic novel. And I think, Right. I, th- I think you could say the same thing about Blackfish City. Uh, clearly, there's a catastrophe behind it, but it's also about a city which is imperfectly finding ways to cope with the new world order. Sure. And as you, you know, you'd say, if you go off and you, you know, sort of plug, plug, clang, if you go off and you read the Locust February issue when it comes out in four or five weeks, and you read the you know, year in review essays there, and I confess, I've not read anyone else's at all, not anyone's. Although there are underpinnings of concern, there are reasons to be optimistic as well about the state of the field, about what's being written. You know, I've got significant concerns about aspects of the field, as you know. But also optimism. I have optimism about the field. I I have plenty of optimism about the capacity for our best writers to imagine different kinds of worlds and different kinds of futures. I mean, sometimes, uh, it's a matter of shifting away from well, – we'll get into this when we get to specific titles. In some cases, as in uh, Charlie Jane Andrews, her new novel shifts away from the Earth altogether and creates uh, a separate society on a separate planet. So there's a movement towards space opera, which is fine because you get to exercise the imagination without worrying about do I have to talk about an awful future again. And I, I suspect what's happening – and this is going to sound really like reverse knobbery – because it is, that the classic sort of grim survivalist dystopia has been outsourced to the Brooklyn literati. All these young people are writing them. They're making a, they're getting a lot of attention. They've been around for years now. They go back to, to, to novels like uh, California, for example. And there's nothing wrong with them. It's just that, okay, let them have that, and let's let science fiction and fantasy writers think about new things. That's true. And I think also... Um 
some of the grimdark, obviously, I mean, just by the simplistic approach, by looking at the label of it, has gone off to fantasy as well. You know, fantasy has a str- much stronger, that's not true, has a strong grimdark element to it these days. And also, uh, maybe it's just where you want to have your, well, where I, a person of my age and my socioeconomic niche in the universe, you know, what I want to be reading on my day to day, I'm already concerned about mass die-offs in the ocean. I'm already concerned about the climate falling apart. I can readily sit here in an anthropocenic depression all of my own. I don't need someone to help me get in and be depressed about the Anthropocene. I need someone to show me how it can be survivable and not not naively positive, you know, you know, positive but that, that, that it can be a problem that could be solved and that my children and their children might have a future rather than, you know, just simply being victim dying somewhere in some horrible apocalyptic future sometime in the next 30 years, you know. Curious, before we get into blathering, I mean, you, you have young, intelligent children who are facing a world. I've got grandkids who are older than your, your kids. But, I mean, are your children concerned about what their future might be like 40 and 50 years from now? Of course they are. They'd be, yes, absolutely. I mean, particularly uh, Sophie, you know, my, my youngest, is, is quite uh, uh, you know, woke, quite focused on the politics of the world. Uh, much like many people, many people who you encounter of her age and generation who are in the 15 to 20 year old kind of age bracket, very focused on politics, political change, that even if the people who have a vested interest in power and economic success can't see what's happening in the world, the people who have a commitment to living in the future because they're that age are very well aware and are very, very, very unhappy with your generation and my generation uh, because of what we and those immediately before us have done. You know, they look back at what things were allegedly like in the 1930s when my mother was a child and compare it with today, with biodiversity, with uh, ecological stability, uh, with climatic stability, all these kind of things, and they're very, very unhappy you know, uh, and I expect that, you know, they are, at the best of it, the greatest reason for hope that we possibly have. And, to sort of pull it back, uh, one thing that science fiction can potentially offer them is reasons to be hopeful. You know, that if they work to improve things, things can get better. It's that thing, I mean, you talked about uh, the political situation in your own country, and there's the Martin Luther King... Uh, quote about you know sort of the, the the world bending towards justice but but you know it can take basically a long period of time now people are going well it's going to take time to fix what's been happening around the world right now and make it better again but but giving up doesn't actually solve anything the real problem is what you know, this yeah. time no one of the first things i i'm i'm, I'm sounding nostalgic because the, the generation Actually, going back two generations, well, okay, one generation before mine, uh, James Gunn at the University of Kansas, whose standard line about science fiction for going on 60 years now is that it's, it's, it's not exclusively the literature of change, but it's, it's a literature that assumes change will occur, which by extension means, uh, as, as he said, he, he believes literally in saving the world through science fiction, that the change is based on decisions that we make. In other words, that the world is changeable, and it goes back to the argument that science fiction writers have always made, that they're not in the business of making predictions. They're in the, they're in the business of outlining our choices. That, that feels plausible to me. That feels plausible to me. But we should segue, because the, the, the nominated topic of this episode isn't everything's falling apart, how do you feel about it, or even when will the pork roast be done because it's nearly dinner time. It's actually what books are coming out in 2019 that we're currently looking forward to. Or in one or two cases, particularly for yourself, because my 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 holiday break was interrupted when it came to reading and I finished very little. Um, what books we're looking forward to, what books have we already read that are coming out in the new year? Now, I have a structure in mind. I've, I found it very, I'm quite optimistic. No, that's not fair. I'm very excited about the books that are coming out in 2019. 
I didn't find it hard to put together a list of 30 or 40 titles that we could talk about quite readily. I've been going through uh, a list of, of all the Locust forthcoming books that they listed, uh, and it's, it's, it's encouraging. I mean, there are a lot of good writers doing consistently good work. Same was true of last year, uh, but there are some things coming forth this year. You mentioned novels that I've already read or story collections that I've already read because I'm reading for my March column now. And already I'm excited. Already I've seen some things that are unlike anything I've seen before. So I'll, 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 I'll start off with what I think will be the big fantasy book of the next couple of months uh, by, uh, by a writer who has a lot of mainstream credibility, Marlon James. He has a Booker Prize for the Brief History of Seven Killings. Uh, I think he's a Jamaican-born writer. And he's decided to write an epic trilogy essentially about medieval Africa. Um, this is called Black... Wait, leopard Red Wolf. Black, black Leopard... Yeah, Black Leopard Red Wolf. And it, and it's phenomenal. It's unlike anything I've seen. It's, uh, it's an epic fantasy, um, which is also a hard-boiled detective story uh, set in a kind of false medieval Africa, which is quite a bit different from the false medieval Europe we've seen as the settings of most fantasy. It's violent. It's sophisticated in terms of its treatment of gender. Um, I won't give too much away about the main character. Well, I will give this much away. His, his, his or her gender is somewhat indeterminate. Um, and it has just enormous amounts of inventiveness. It goes through all the moves of a uh, all the different worlds, all the different uh, environments that you would have in a classic epic fantasy except they're all different. Uh, the one thing he does, and I don't want to compare his work to anybody's because it really strikes me as being a new kind of large-scale fantasy, but the same thing happens in his work that happens to me with Nettie Okorafor, and I've asked her about this, that there's so much African folklore and mythology built into it and so much invention built into it that you have to be really a lot more sophisticated than I am to know which is which. But then on the other hand, is that, I mean, I, I read your, your review, uh, which uh -huh. is coming out in February, the same month that the book comes out. Uh -huh. And what struck me was it's a valid point, but is it an important point for most readers? No. I, know, ex I mean, it's, 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 worth, it's worthwhile to educate yourself, but it doesn't seem like it's critical to appreciating the book. I, I, think, I think it's worthwhile to this extent that readers of um, Tolkien-esque fantasy – have a habit of trying to find, okay, the, 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 these are the sources in the Elder Eddas. These are the sources in Norse mythology. Uh, people who write fantasies that are drawn from Greek and Roman mythology, readers, especially our kind of readers, the geek readers, the fantasy readers, love to figure out, okay, this is taken from this and this is taken from that. He's dealing with the kinds of mythologies which I recognize some of but not a lot, and I don't think it makes any difference at all to the effectiveness of the novel, which is a very fast-moving, suspenseful, sometimes very funny novel, sometimes very violent, sometimes very sexy. But it's really the most different fantasy I've read in quite a few years. Cool. Well, all I can say to you is that if we want to impose a little bit of structure at this point, I might come back and put that in the loose classification of fantasy novels and interesting fantasy mm -hmm. novels. They're coming out in 2019. And there's a handful of them, some really interesting ones, that I love to look at. Um, uh, okay, that's th this, th this, the same month as uh, Black Leopard Red Wolf comes out, February, Anne Leckie will release her first non-science fiction novel, The Red, The Raven Tower. It's mm -hmm. a fantasy novel about the nature of godhood, about the nature of reality. It looks fascinating. It looks engaging. I've read a couple of reviews of it. it looks fabulous. And, and that's a book that I'm definitely looking forward to finding the time to read. Also, I was going to say, since we're in this sort of uh, moving back into fantasy, one of the novels, which I think may be on your list, it certainly is on mine, isn't coming out till spring, but it's Karen Lord's Unraveling, which after a couple of Le Guinian science fiction epics, is sort of returning to the folk folklore roots that, uh, that won her the Crawford Award with her first novel, Redemption in Indigo. I don't know anything about the novel other than the publicity I've seen about it. I talked to her about it briefly uh, well, before. I don't think I talked to the novel that, talked to her about the novel that's coming out now. But she was fascinated by returning to that fantasy world. So again, that will be an interesting kind of unique look of, of 
what was uh, in her first novel a kind of combination of Senegalese and Caribbean uh, folklore and myth. Sure. Uh, well, in addition to James and Leckie and Lord, uh, probably the preeminent science fiction writer of the last five years has been N.K. Jemison. I point out for, for some amongst us that it's Jemison, not Jemison. It's a novel called The City We, we Became. It, it grows, uh, comes out of a fantasy novelette that was published on Tor.com a couple of years ago about the, uh, about living cities, basically. And it is a, the story that it's based on was a, just a, a bright, wonderful, engaging story. It was fascinating. Um, you know, th- this is going to be one of these stories that's about people, you know, gathering together to protect their city from ancient evil, this kind of thing. And it's part of a new series, apparently. Coming and there's September. a bit of Lovecraftian. Bo- yeah, that, that, that story is also in her collection, How Long Till Black Future yeah, Month. Yeah. And, uh, and even in that collection, which is the first time I read it, I did not read it on Tor.com, I thought, this looks like this an outline for what could be a, a large-scale novel. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the it, other... Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. It, it's, yeah. I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah. I, well, I mean, and the thing is, the, I mean, these are major novels from uh, uh, well-established writers. I mean, Leckie's been around for about five years, novel length. Jemison Longer, obviously a triple Hugo winner for best novel, so, so major talent. Uh, I would also, uh, I'm also really looking forward to Sylvia Moreno-Garcia's uh, forthcoming book, coming out from Del Rey, Gods of Jade and Shadow, which is coming out in August. Looks really interesting. Um, it's basically the Mayan god of death sending a young woman on a life-changing, uh, a life-changing journey in a dark fairy tale kind of thing. And I'm sure Sylvia, if she ever listens to this, will grind her teeth at my terrible description, but we'll try and do better when the book actually is coming out, because obviously I've not seen it, but I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um, I thought that her most her first couple of novels, and particularly Signals of Noise, which was published a few years ago by Solaris, was terrific work, and she's not been given the attention that she deserves. The other major fantasy that I've got, he says, I was about to draw breath, Jonathan, thanks, is one that I think will be on your list too. And it's one I've already got a copy of, and you don't. Yeah, I know you have a copy of it. Thanks for pointing that out to me repeatedly over the last few weeks. I don't. Neener, 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 neener. It's a book called A Brightness Long Ago by Guy Gavriel Kay. For my money, any Guy Gavriel Kay book is an a, an event, and this one this one stands out. I think it's loosely related to the Saratine mosaic. It's a a major new fantasy in the same kind of tradition that he's been looking at for years for years mm-hmm. now, and I am sure we will be reviewing it shortly. But I'm looking forward to that quite a lot. It's, it's also a return to his, his his version of Europe, which is after taking a vacation more or less in China for the last couple of epic yeah. novels. So, yes. uh, so it, it may look more familiar to Guy K readers than others, but I don't know because I haven't yeah. seen it yet. I don't have a copy. Ha ha ha. And you know, the thing about that little group of books that we would say we're looking forward to is they're not only fa- fantasies, but they're either series starters or they're standalones. You know, um, there are, there's a trio of science fiction standalones that I'm looking forward to. There's a book that I know nothing about, Return of the Exploding Man, which is coming from Dave Hutchinson. Dave has established himself over the last five years as a preeminent British science fiction novelist, uh, mostly with his Europe series, uh, you know, the Fractured Europe series, uh, but also with a standalone novel, uh, Shelter, I think it was called which is part of another series that Solaris have kicked off. So I'm looking forward to that. You have touched on one of the major books, and it's a what I would call a sophomore effort. It is The City in the Middle of the Night by uh, Charlie Jane Anders, who really, really knocked my socks off with her, her first book, All the Birds in the Sky. Obviously not a writer for books with short titles, now that I think about it. And this book is due out any time now, I think it's a beginning of February, comes with uh, great burbs. What would you say of it, Gary? Because I think you've read it. I started, I started reading it. I've not finished it. I'm about a third of the way into it, probably. I started just a couple of months. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong book. Um, it strikes me as being a, a very wise thing for her to have done because she had a kind of um, – uh, uh, there was a great deal of affection about All the Birds in the Sky, which was one of these books that sort of – challenged it was a, it was a book that was set up a dialogue between science fiction and fantasy 
This is uh, a science fiction novel set not on Mercury, but on a uh, on a tidelocked planet, half of which is burning heat, half of which is frozen, and the human settlers can only survive in this narrow strip in between. And um, she, in the part I've read so far, she has a couple of viewpoint characters that are both just terrific and unusual. She has, I don't know enough about the setting and the government and the background and that sort of thing, but it looks to me like she's decided to move as far away as she can from the kind of uh, comfort level that she had established with, in the best sense of, this, uh, of the term with all the birds in the sky. It's a kind of tough novel. Uh, it starts off with some really unpleasant things happening to the, narr- the narrator um, of almost being frozen to death by uh, a, a repressive government. So uh, there are going to be political issues in that. But one of the things, to go back to our preface to this whole thing, there's a lot of political sophistication um, in the um, Marlon James novel. There's a, it looks like this is going to be a, a politically sophisticated and sensitive novel as well. Uh, I am, the fact that I don't know where it's going makes me feel really good about what, our, what, what, what I have looking forward to. But before we get entirely into science fiction, there are at least three fantasy novels I want to go back and pick up on. <laughs> One of them oh. is... Up. So I'm probably got filed in a different spot, Gary. So tell me what you got. Tell me what you got. Oh, I, th- I, thought really we were, I thought we'd gone through fantasy. We have, but I've got I've, I've got just little areas like I've got a sequel section. See, Gary and I didn't okay. talk about how to organize this. Well, one, into... which, one which I'm looking forward to, and I have a copy of here. If you can see it there, ah, that's a sophomore effort. Yes, another second novel. If we're talking about sophomore efforts, the Aleph, the Unseen, was a terrific novel which came. Very close to getting the Crawford Award. I don't know if she won the World that. Fantasy Award, Gary. Won the Fantasy Award, uh, and this is a completely different thing as well. And it's it fascinates me because I confess to not knowing her comic book work at all because I don't know comics at all. I'm sure it's terrific. It's um, fabulous. I mean, Mar- in fact, yeah, let, let's step in. What you could honestly yeah. say now that what this is is this is the second novel from a writer who's made her name globally from writing a genre-changing series of comic-slash-graphic novels featuring the character Ms. Marvel, a teenage Pakistani girl growing up in New Jersey. It It's a beloved, award-winning series. To my mind, it would make the greatest sort of Netflix superhero series not ever made. And so this is really interesting because it's her coming back to a lot of, well, some of the material, I guess, that she that mm. she in, in, looked at in Owl of the Unseen. Owl of the Unseen, yeah. And I'm really, really looking forward to this book. And it's 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 set in a version of Muslim Spain, uh, apparently, uh, which is uh, it's, it's it's kind of something that fascinates me because of well, set, real historical settings and fantasies. This is one of the things we've talked about before. In fact, we talked about this with Guy K using a fantasized version of an actual historical setting such as this or a complete fantasy reimagining of it the other the other novel which is well i guess it's a sophomore effort as a novel is zen chose the true queen second novel following up on uh, sorcerer to the crown which is a uh, uh, you know set in a very realistic um early 19th century england uh i believe and it's the first one was just delightful and really kind of powerfully feminist. It dealt, it dealt with uh, power differentials in a very sophisticated way, and I expect this to be more of the same. So um, I've got that in hand. I'm looking forward to that. And as long as we're on books in series, the <laughs> third novel set in a real historical setting with fantasy elements introduced will be the third volume of – Theodore Goss' series? Uh, Theodore Goss' The series. Sinister Mystery of the Mesmerizing Girl? Right. You can't give her points for titles. Uh, yeah, I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking here at piles of books. I don't have that. I, I know, but no. Uh, oh, it's a September the, the, title, Gary. No wonder you don't have it yet. Come on. Well, I know I don't have it. But I, I know she just, in fact, turned it in a couple of weeks ago, according to Twitter or Facebook or something like that. She. What interests me about this trilogy, and I'm not chronically interested in trilogies. I'm going to have to be interested in trilogies because major books are coming out in trilogies now. Um, what, what was interesting to me about the, um, the second novel 
European uh, European European travels for the monstrous gentlewoman, which in turn was a sequel to the Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter. The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter was an urban adventure. It was a novel which borrowed its shape, if anything, from Robert Louis Stevenson, from, from something like uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. The second novel was longer. A lot of people noticed that. But different in form also. It was a journey across Europe novel. It was a travel novel. It was a travelogue. It was a love story to some of her favorite cities in Europe, um, Vienna and Budapest in particular. I expect the third novel to be different again, and I don't know if it is. I don't know whether it's just – the second novels certainly continued the story of the first novel. But I like the idea of trilogies that experiment with form from one volume to the next, and there aren't too many of those. No, there aren't. I mean – uh, those, I mean, some writers, you know, seem to make a, a habit of surprising you, and which, mm. which has to be, you know, looked on as being a, a delightful thing. One of the joys of 2015, I mean, you're talking about the Regency fantasy that is the, the, Regency, Zen, yeah. the Zen Cho series, right? Uh, with dragons, I think, if I recall correctly. Anyway. This one has uh, dragons. I, I think there are dragons. Anyway, one other series that, that, that started off around the, the same time was the Dominion of the Fallen series from Aliette mm-hmm. de Bodard. And I mean, Aliette over right. the last 10 years, 8, 10 years, has evolved into a major, major voice in the field, a major talent. She followed it with The House of Binding Thorns, the, the first book, The House of Shattered Wings. And this year we'll see The House of Sundering Flames coming out, the, the third. Uh, of, of that sequence in July. I'm looking forward to that, see what happens with the, the, the Houses of Fallen Angels in Paris. There are two again, other sequences. Yeah, yeah. just, just again, another example of using an actual historical setting that's uh, very haunting. I mean, uh, the, it's, it's, it's an actual, it's an alternate history Paris, obviously, because there was a War of the Angels instead of World War I. Uh, but it's a recognizable Paris with recognizable landmarks. The Seine is there. Um, and it's uh, one of the most haunting settings I've seen in recent fantasy. You're right about Aliette. Um, between this and the Zuya stories uh, in, in that universe, and now we could add the uh, novel from last year, the um, – uh, okay, in the Vanisher's Palace. These are, com- these are all completely distinct settings. I mean, I've not read any kind of a kind of Vietnamese, Mayan future, Vietnamese, Aztec future, whatever it is, that's completely original, completely different from the settings of the Paris novels, and completely different, again, from the settings of um, the, the, the Vanisher's Palace stories. She's really, really good at settings. I've got two other sequels I want to touch on quickly before I zip on to something else. So first of all, about two years ago, Alistair Reynolds put out... Revenger, which was a space opera featuring two twins, pardon me, <coughs> space pirates, all kinds of, you know, daring do and damage. And the sequel to that is just, it will be out any day now, in fact. It's a book called Shadow Captain, presumably listing itself, its uh, title from the Crosby, Souls Nash & Young song. Knowing Al Reynolds, that's entirely possible. That looks like an, an enormous amount of fun. When we went to Baltimore, the other book, when we went to Baltimore, Gary, I got to meet Fonda Lee, who is a delightful human being. And Fonda's first, well, Fonda's, actually probably that third book, I think it was, uh, Jade City, which is a kind of fantasy, yakuza, drug-running romp, though really, really smart and well done, uh, came out. And the second book in that set, Jade War will be out in July, and I'm really looking forward to that. That That'll should be, be terrific. Uh, before we leave, um, since you are so much more informed on this sort of thing than I am, and you mentioned uh, Alistair Reynolds, he has a novella coming out. Uh, yes, yes, he does. Permafrost, which sounds very interesting because it sounds, without sounding skeptical about it, oh, it sounds like he's moving into a kind of uh, bestseller-ish warning of uh, the, the future of the planet. I, I gather it's a time travel story trying to prevent some kind of ecological catastrophe. Um, yeah, but kind of like... I mean, I, I, well, I don't know if I told you this, but that, that's one that I, I edited and acquired. Oh, I didn't know that. I did yeah, not so, know that. So Permafrost, which is the story you're talking about, mm-hmm. is one of mine. It's a time travel story, yes, but it's mm-hmm. a time travel story more in the line of a 
Martin Cruz Smith uh, Moscow wintry thriller rather than Excellent. anything else. And it is the it is a story shifting back and forth through time as people use a very unexpected form of technology that I'm not going to go into because it'll be a spoiler for the story uh-huh. to attempt an action to give hope to the future. They're not trying to change the past. What they're trying to do is find a way to change their their present and the future by doing something that will make it possible for them to do that, if that's not too sort of squirrely a way of getting around telling you what the story is actually about. Okay, no, it sounds fascinating. It just it struck me as being uncharacteristic of Alistair Reynolds, and anything that's uncharacteristic I find exciting because I think – well, Revenger was a move away from his more traditional things into a kind of classic revenge tragedy. It, 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 it's a Revenger, if anything, recalled The Star is My Destination. Well, actually, um, since we touched on this, can I, can I drop one in unexpectedly? Because it's not in oh, coming yeah. books. Locusts don't uh, have it. I don't think they've announced it. I don't think Tor have announced it. But I'm working on right now on editing a novella which hopefully, if we can get the timeline to work out, will come out in Dublin for Worldcon. Ian MacDonald is the guest of honour, or one, one of, of course. a group of guests of honour. He's a guest of honour there. He's probably the, I think he's the Irish fiction guest of honour or something. He's the most local guest of honour. Oh, no, there's a couple others. We have to be very careful. Oh, really? Anyway, okay. I, there are other, I, I, other I, I, Irish guests of honour. So. But anyway, there's Ian, great guy, yeah. and... He's write, written a novella called The Menace from Farside. Title might change, but called The Menace from Farside. Uh-huh. It's set in his lunar universe. It's kind of YA-focused, and it's a, a prequel to Luna. It's very different in tone. It's the story of a group of kids who make a trek across the surface of the moon in search of Neil Armstrong's uh, first boot, boot print on the surface of the oh. moon. Uh, it's basically, as he said, it's like Stand By Me on the moon. And it's That's terrific. Great. I love this story. And I think when it comes out, everybody will be just knocked, knocked, knocked out. So, anyway. Okay. There was a science fiction, science fiction book we right. missed uh, uh-huh. that probably we should – like there's two before we go into a category that I'm, I've actually was going to start with originally. So let's see if we can get through these. Okay. I had a long argument with a dear friend of mine, Ellen Clagis, this year about who would or would not become a grand master of science fiction. And it was my opinion that William Gibson would be an obvious choice for grand master of SFWA. This was not widely accepted by everybody I spoke to, but that was my opinion. This coming April, unless they shift it again, Gibson will have a new novel out called Agency. It's Mm -hmm. an alternate timeline spin-off from the peripheral using time travel technology to explore an alternate 2017 where Hillary Clinton won the 2016 presidential election. So it's either going to be smart, salient, and fantastic, or depressing, terrible, and awful, because it'll be what you hoped happened, and it'll be some horrible wish-fulfillment thing. I think it's going to be the first thing, but it's Gibson, and he writes so well that I can't not want to read the book it'll be more sophisticated i think than anybody expects because gibson likes to do unexpected things he is again as we've talked about with other writers a politically committed writer he wants to have influence he's he's well aware of the fact that he has more cultural gravitas than most science fiction writers do because he writes bestsellers um nevertheless he's never unlike other writers who shall remain nameless he's never pretended not to be a science fiction writer. He just isn't somebody who grew up reading a lot of science fiction. When we um, put together the... I had him write uh, an essay on The Star is My Destination, and he told me at the time that he was surprised how much little science fiction of the 50s and 60s he remembered. But what he did remember completely formed him as a writer. There you go. I also realized you've thrown me off by mentioning novellas, Gary. I hadn't included novellas in this at all. And I've got other uh, ones in mind that I would have okay, well, mentioned. This- There's Catherine uh, Duckett's story, Miranda in Milan, which is a kind of gay alternate retelling of The Tempest that follows on from The Tempest and stuff. Looks fascinating. Read a great review of that just recently. I have also edited because I'm just going to, we're just going to throw these in, these things we've done, Gary. And I don't feel too bad doing this because this doesn't have my name on it. There's a story by Saad Hussain 
uh, who had a book out uh, the other year called Gin City, right, called The Gurkha and the Lord of Tuesday, right? And it's a huh, midterm future epic science fantasy about a Fafford and Gray mouserish couple of a 3,000-year-old djinn that reawakens after having been asleep for 2,000 years uh, to encounter this old, well, vicious semi-old soldier as they go towards this city in the Himalayas in a future that has been devastated by nanotech and other kind of strange things. And the adventures they have in the city, which is called Karma, it's run by an AI called, well, it's called Kathmandu, it's run by a AI called Karma, and where, where they literally balance every one of your actions, give you social points. You know, you can't you can't starve, but but it watches every single thing you do, and you get Karma points, and it depends on how wealthy and successful you are in the city. And it's delightful. I love this story so much. It's great. It sounds like a lot of fun. It uh, is. It also sounds vaguely like an episode of Black Mirror, where you have are constantly. Measuring your uh, social media presence, uh, um, a little though. That the 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 kind of th- that side of it is more background than foreground. The foreground okay. really is why have why have the Gurkha and the Lord of Tuesday, uh, the, the, this Jin, come uh-huh. to uh, Kathmandu, and what are they going to do in the city? What is what is it that the Gurkha has done in his past to make him significant to the city? And this sort of thing. It's great. It's really great. Everybody's going to love it. I, I, Everybody's going to love it so much. I, over the last few years, with uh, with a number of authors, and uh, I, I think Usman Malik is one, I like to see gins finally working their way back into fantasy. It seems to me gins are one of the great fantasy concepts. It doesn't come from Western civilization. Maybe that's it. But they are just terrific fantasy, terrifically useful fantasy figures. Let me put it that way. The other book I was going to mention... And I think if you're aware of it, you, you would be equally excited. And I am very excited about this book as well. It's The Future mm. of Another Timeline by Annalee Newitz. It's her second novel. It's co- yeah. I think, coming out from Tor in September. It's a time tra- tra- travel story. These seem to be particularly of, re- of relevance at the moment, maybe because we all want to change the world we live in. And it's about a setup where it's, it's possible to jump into the past but not to change the timeline you live in or it's almost impossible and it's about an idealistic geology professor who believes in historical change looking to go back to the Columbian Exposi- Exposition of 1893 to undo uh, injustices that she feels have been done in her timeline and other cool stuff I've got to talk to her about this the Columbian Exposition A eh? happens to be something that occurred only a few blocks from where I used to live there you go and Annalise is such a smart writer. I mean, just like her partner, Charlie Jane. Well, she's, she's you know, one of the things that I, I think fascinates me about Annalise, about her first novel, and it sounds about this too, is essentially her experience as a science reporter, as a science and tech writer, informs her fiction in a very useful way, and in a way similar to the way it informs the fiction of, let's say, Cory Doctorow. Um, and uh, so, so I'm, I'm utterly confident because of her journalistic background that she'll have all the Chicago stuff right because she she does that i think obsessively in a good way yeah if she doesn't i'll let her know yeah <laughs> i'm sure she'll be well charlie jane and charlie jane andrews and annalee newitz are coming out to perth this april to be guests of Excellent. honor at SwanCon. i will be a guest of honor there too so i'll get to hang out congratulations and i am just delighted that these books are coming out i have my copy of Charlie Jane Andrews' The City in the Middle of the Night here beside me to read. It was going to be a book that I was reading on my holidays, but life just didn't allow that to happen, Gary. So that's fine. And Annalise's book, I'm going to read the minute I can get it. But the final yep. category that, well, not final, the, the final novel length category I have sitting around, and I don't know if you've got stray novels to talk about, but it's debut novelists. Originally, I was going to start with okay. this, but I have about half a dozen no, five. Five debuts that I'm really eager to read. Okay. So happy for me to go through this? Go start. 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 Okay. Because I think one of them might be one I know about, at least maybe two or three of them I know about. It's entirely possible, or you'll b- bounce around and add in your own. But I'm going to start huh. off, at, I was just saying um, a few minutes ago that we were in Baltimore for World Fantasy this November, right. and that we got to meet some delightful people. That's where I got to meet uh, right. Fonda Lee. Also got to meet Sarah Pinsker for the first time. 
Now, yes. Sarah Pinsker's debut short story collection is coming out from Small Beer Press early in the year, but her debut novel, A Song for a New Day, is coming out in September. It's a science fiction novel about a situation where public gathering, gatherings have been made illegal, music concerts are impossible, unless you're willing to break the law and, and change you know, and, and change things. It's all about injustice, about mm-hmm. gender, and all kinds of things. Sarah is a musician herself, so I'm going to bet that she brings a real kind of visceral passion to this story. So I'm really eager to read this. So I don't know if that was on your list. I'm looking forward to that, too, because I just finished her collection of short stories, which is called Sooner or Later Everything Falls Into the Sea. And that story collection is not coming out until March, as it turns out. And again, it's another one of these amazing small beer story collections. Uh, and it's a, it's a very... Um, it's a varied collection, I guess. I'm, 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 I'm fascinated by story collections because there were so many good ones last year. And I'm sort of thinking of them along a spectrum with on the one end you've got stories by people who are just completely reimagining the genre in all kinds of ways. The, the classic example of this is Carmen Maria Machado, obviously. Um, to some extent, uh, Christopher Rowe's collection was like this. To some extent, uh, there was a collection by Julie C. Day that was like this. And now the other side, which is not in any way inferior or superior, are collections where you look at the variety of things a writer can do. One of the things that surprised me about N.K. Jemison's collection, for example, was that it was all over the map. There was dystopian science fiction. There was funny stuff. There was Kafkaesque stories. Not every story was trying to do something that was trying to reinvent the genre. Some of them were playing with genre ideas. I found the same thing about Sarah Pinsker's stories. There are some good, solid science fiction stories in them. There are fantasy stories. There are bizarre stories that are unclassifiable. It's a, it, it's a, good, um, it's a good example of a small beer collection. And some of it is just it, – it, it's, it's an excellent collection, I think. And I've read occasional short stories by her before, but this is one of the reasons that you should look at people's short story collections. If you read Sooner or Later Everything Falls in the Sea, you will, as I have, begin to really look forward to this novel you've just described. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I read, I think, maybe five new stories by Sarah during 27, 2018, probably several of which are in the collection. And they're, she's a really, really strong voice. Just yesterday, Tor.com Publishing announced that they had promoted Carl Engelaird to editor at uh, Tor.com Publishing, which is a well-deserved promotion. His, his major acquisition, I believe, for 2019 is a debut novel from an Oxford-based New Zealand writer, Tamsin Muir. It's a book called Gideon the Ninth, Gideon the Ninth which is it's a, it's a, I'm holding a manuscript here, it's like a 500-page long tale of adventure swordplay, cutthroat politics, lesbian neuromancers, and all kinds of other stuff. It has had more buzz and you know, hype around this than uh, you could imagine. I mean, Charlie Stross said of it, lesbian necromancers explore a haunted gothic palace in space. Decadent no- nobles vie to, vie to serve the deathless emperor, skeletons, crackling, inventive, and riotous, etc., etc. So ignoring the fact that those are just blurbs. I've started to read it. It's really interesting. Fantastic new voice, new series. A, a book really worth being excited about, I think. And Tamsin Muir has been in, am I not mistaken, in your years? She was, yes, yes, yes. She did a story okay. in FNSF that I reprinted. So, yes. Excellent. Because I, I know I've read some of the short fiction there. Um, mm-hmm. as, as far as we're talking about writers who who I know very little about, we've, we've missed one sophomore novel. Which I know nothing about at all, but um, River Solomon's second novel coming out from Saga in June is called The Deep. Yeah, uh, novella. Her first novel, so, I thought apparently it's short. It's a novella, apparently. Uh, okay, novella. Okay, yeah, okay. but it's I don't think we can ex- exclude novellas. But her there, I should I should use the you pronoun that, that they they prefer. Uh, their first novel was uh, a generation starship story, which was. Uh, Familiar in all the ways it should be familiar and completely original in the ways it should be original. And this is a very, very angry novel, uh, but anger in a well-managed uh, way that advanced the, uh, the themes of the novel without, without violating the original science fiction uh, 
terms. That sounds like an odd thing to say, but anyway, mm-hmm. it makes mm-hmm. me look forward to their second novel. Mm-hmm. Okay, other debuts that I'm looking forward yeah. to. There's yeah, a okay. lot of buzz around Arcadie Martin's first book, A Memory Called Empire. Big space opera. Lots of people raving about it. I've had a copy sitting around for a while on my Kindle, which, you know, I have to say, almost feels like it doesn't count, but I am really looking forward to it. There's a whole bunch of strong-looking space operas in the first third of the year, including Ancestral Nights by Elizabeth Baer, this book, and a couple of others. So there's that. Uh, Chen Kui Fan has a debut novel out in Australia, uh, in the States, Waste Tide, coming out in April, about a dark futuristic forest being unleashed on an island, it's gritty, it's a near-future Chinese landscape, there's body modification, virtual reality. Sounds fascinating, and with great blurbs from, I think, Charlie Andrews and a few other people. Do you find that blurbs sometimes make a difference? Because I usually don't. I, I, I think after a while we, we, get, we get to know writers who too easily hand out blurbs, and writers whose blurbs make me read a book, and sometimes that's happened. One of the things... Uh, that made me interested in the um, Marlon James novel was that there was an extensive blurb by by Neil Gaiman, uh, which was not simply a blurb. It was a detailed blurb that showed me he'd read the novel and he was pointing out things in it that worked. So yeah, I will I will read I will pay attention to blurbs. Uh, I, I pay attention to them within limits. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. you know it depends who it is and how, how relevant it appears. I suppose. Um, the next one, I was reading for my year's best, and there's a story in there written by a new writer, uh, Alex E. Harrow, comes from Apex, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head, story about libraries, librarians, all that kind of thing. Well, Alex Harrow has a debut novel coming out from, I'd have to look it up now, called The Ten Thousand Doors of January. It's a portal fantasy, uh, all about, you know, the, the whole kind of going through the back of the wardrobe into Narnia kind of adventure. It sounds really good, really delightful. And so I'm really, really eager. I love the story enough to put it in my year's best. So I'm really looking forward to that. Really looking forward to it. Let me ask you about a novel which I have received in the mail, and I've read, I think, one or two stories by this author. This is Sarah Gailey's Magic for Liars. Oh, I'm interested in that one, yes. It looks really interesting. Uh, it's, it's one of these things where... Uh, uh, th- th- this has happened to me increasingly in the last few years. Where you, you can see from the promo letter, from the publicity, that this is something that's being positioned outside genre. It's being positioned as mainstream, which doesn't bother me necessarily. More power to them and so forth and so on. But this seems to be somebody who has uh, – she's she's been nominated for Hugo Awards. She's been uh, around for a while. I've read some of her stuff. It looks like a really interesting novel, um, and it sounds – like it's it, it, here's one of the ways you can find if somebody's trying to position something as a mainstream novel, they will compare it to books by, in this case, Lev Grossman. They will compare it to books by, uh, oh, I don't know, um, various people who write bestsellers the, uh, the, the, the that are that are mainstream writers. This looks like one that belongs – it deserves our attention. It deserves our attention not simply as something that's being positioned as a mainstream bestseller, but as a pretty clever fantasy murder mystery. I'm, I'm very curious about it. It's called Magic for Liars, and it's coming out from tour. Fair enough. Um, I have one other debut I want to mention. A couple of years mm-hmm. ago, there's a really strong and interesting collection come out that came out from a British writer – uh, Tim Morn, it uh, mm. paintwork, I think it was, uh, got a little bit of a, uh, a splash here and there. Well, last year, uh, or maybe the tail end of the year before, Tim sold his debut novel to Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux, which is a oh. bit of a bit of a, a ch- you know, thing actually. And the, this book, Infinite Detail, is coming out in March. Ian Mond has just given it a rave review in the February issue of Locus. It's basically they describe uh-huh. it as. Black Mirror meets William Gibson with a dash of Banksy. And I've just started reading it. It's one of two books that I'm reading at the moment. And it looks really terrific. Tim's a, ma- a, a really, really, again, he's one of these people, far smarter than I am. I can follow his book, but I can't, I'm you know, not up with that. And it looks to be one of those books along with, 
the Tamsin Muir and a bunch of others that really are going to be worth you know, seeking out. And perhaps probably some of these debutantes are people we should talk to on the podcast. No, they are. I mean, they're, they're, they're novels. There are things that I get in the mail, and I get a lot of things in the mail that don't come through Locus anymore, that I admit to being curious about without knowing anything about them. And um, sometimes the... Um, Sometimes the buzz seems justified. Sometimes here, here, here's just one example I'll throw out to you. It's a Del Rey book, and the only reason it's getting a well, I shouldn't say this. The main reason it's getting a lot of attention. It's a novel by Josh Mallerman called Inspection, mm-hmm. which seems to be about a secretive school for kids that uh, is isolated from the rest of the world and so forth. Josh Mallerman's first novel was called yeah. The Bird Box, which yeah. is a, a very actually a very good um, Sandra Bullock movie on. Yeah, either Netflix or Amazon Prime. I'm not sure. Um, I, I've not read the first novel at all. Um, I don't want to. This is a novel coming out in April. I don't want to dismiss the novel because he's a commercially successful writer. I don't know anything about him at all. Sounds interesting. I'll take a look at it. Yeah, sounds like you should. I never. I, in, in keeping in mind, I'd never heard of the Bird Box before I saw the movie. Fair enough. And I still haven't seen the film. Uh, in fact, one of my my New Year's resolutions, for what it's worth, is to watch less and read more. So we'll see. Um, two young adult, young adult, listen to me. Two young adult books on my list. Both I recommend super strongly, just because of the writers of love their work elsewhere. Sam Miller delivers his third book, Destroy All Monsters, which looks mm-hmm. fabulous. I mean, we've been raving about Blackfish City. Uh, we we were both, I think, great fans of The Art of Starving. I like there's no reason to believe that Destroy All Monsters won't be equally wonderful, so I'm looking forward to that. And Rick Riordan has a middle grade imprint of really? his own that allows him to you know, publish work that he thinks is of interest, and he's devoted it to diverse writers from different uh, uh, blah, 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 different backgrounds. So I mean, Carlos mm. Hernandez's debut novel has come out from there. It's been a bunch of others. And mm. Yunha Lee has a space opera, Dragon Pearl, coming out in January from uh, from Disney Hyperion in the Rick Riordan imprint. And I'm really looking forward to that. It's one of two books Yun has coming out. His other book is a collection of Hex Arcade stories related to the trilogy that he just did for Rebellion. That's coming out in June from Rebellion, and that should be great. Yun's a really terrific short story writer. It'll be great. Dragon Absolutely. Pearl sounds delightful. Has a great cover. Really interested in that. As long as you mentioned, uh, well, you didn't really mention, but kind of gritty, futuristic, in this case, military science fiction, coming out from Cameron Hurley. Oh, yeah. uh, again from Saga Press, uh, The Light Brigade. It looks like a... Uh, Cameron Hurley is a tough-minded writer. I mean, uh, she, she, she's good at what she does. Uh, there's yeah. uh, a lot of sort of gritty violence in her stuff. This looks like she's turning her attention full scale to a, a version of military science fiction. And considering what she's done with her versions of other kinds of science fiction, this should be very interesting. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I mean, Cameron's work is great. And then I've got two anthologies to round out. One you've already read, and mm-hmm. one I have copies of, the, of both. I, mean, I haven't read them yet, but I'm looking forward to it as we move into 2019. In February, Random House are publishing Victor Laval and John Joseph Adams's People's Future of the United States. Mm-hmm. And that looks very interesting. Uh, you know, JJA has been a prolific and prominent editor anthologist for the last decade or so. Victor is a fabulous writer. Looks like right. a thoughtful and interesting book. It has some excellent stories in it. It's generally... It's one of these things where you wonder what they thought they were going to get in the way of stories. It's got some really upsetting stories in it. Um, so that in the sense of it's offering hopeful futures, which Victor Laval more or less suggests uh, in his introduction, eh, eh, well, maybe there are a couple of hopeful futures, but by and large, <laughs> it's pretty grim. And the other anthology that I'm eager to look at is Jared Shoren and Mavesh Moran's The Outcast Hours, story set after midnight. Oh, that I don't know at all. Yeah, yeah. It's coming up from uh, Solaris. They had a really good anthology, the pair of them out from Solaris a couple of years ago, that was up on the World Fantasy Award uh, ballot this year, just gone. And The Mm -hmm. Outcast Hours looks just as interesting, if not more so. It does recycle and finish... 
a China medieval piece. Chi- I don't know if you recall when China was going to be the Toastmaster at World Fantasy a I few years that. ago. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, ch- he wasn't able to make it to the convention, and by way of apology, put out a limited edition chapbook. Well, the contents of that chapbook, along with an extra story or two, ha- oh, sorry, not an extra story, an extra piece, have, have been added to fill it out. But there's some great, great writers in in uh, Outcast Hours, so I would strongly recommend that. And I'm now really embarrassed, Gary, because since I opened up my Books 2019 folder on my uh-huh. Kindle, this is why I don't like Kindles, Gary. Kindles are great, but you, it's how you lose track of books. There's a, a super major book neither of, of us have mentioned that I'm going to come back to in about ooh, five, well, about 30 seconds because I'm kind of embarrassed that we've missed it. And you two uh. will be embarrassed when I tell you what it is. You're just going to go, how do we overlook that? That is like one of the major books of the year. But anyway, uh, Outcast Hours looks to be terrific. The book that we missed, Gary, the book that we'll take home, I predict now, Every major award for short story collection that you can pick up will be Exhalation by Ted Chang, his second collection. Of course. I'm, I'm I mean, embarrassed we could possibly have, that. have uh, that. One, one of the odd things about Ted Chang collections is because they're so infrequent, and I know, again, small beer reprinted uh, stories of your life, um, is that by the time the collection comes out, we've all internalized those stories. Uh, so much that that it's, it's it's almost like putting together a really rich feast of your favorite foods, and you know they're your favorite foods, and you've eaten them before, and you don't really need to have this feast, but you really want it anyway. Uh, I mean, I, I am um, almost embarrassed at my lack of restraint in my admiration for Ted Chiang. I think he, <laughs> there, there are stories that are less successful than others. There are stories that. Ted Chang has written, I will give one example, The Life Cycle of Software Objects, that are less like Ted Chang's stories and more like somebody else's stories. But by and large, everyone is brilliantly crafted. And Exhalation, which some people are not as fond of as I am, is, is to me one of the most brilliant science fiction concepts of the last 20 years. But as long as we're mentioning the anthology, because you're not going to mention it, and I don't know what's in it, uh, you've got Mission Critical coming out in the middle of the year. I do. I don't know what's going to be in it either, which is a bit of a problem since I'm going to deliver it in mid-February. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's on the list for July. I mean, come on. Uh, no, no, that's, that's our timeline. Yeah, we should be. I mean, look, I, I, I tell you something of a lie. I know what the basic premise for the book is, which is effectively mm-hmm. it's a hard science fiction book about situations where things go wrong and people have to work their way out of it, I suppose. The best comparison to it would be stories not unlike The Martian, say. And stories are coming in. Stories are coming in. A problem-solving story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Except that these are stories that have that kind of extreme kind of things have fallen apart. There's actual drama. Peter Watts has written it. For it, Dominica Fetterplays, John Meany, Peter Hamilton... Uh, Greg Egan, Toby Buckle, a bunch of other people, Sean Williams, uh, and Jason Fisher. So, yeah, some some interesting, interesting stuff. But it's well, still it's taking important. shape, I mean, as these books always do. Okay, you, it might make you uncomfortable to talk about this a little bit, but apart from the year's best, which is also coming out in a couple of months, this is your first anthology since the Infinity series ended, am I not correct? Yes, everything's ending and falling apart, Gary, and this is one of the things that's ending and falling apart. Yes. Or post well, falling the, the, apart. The, the, only, you, you can't do an, in, an infinity of infinity-themed anthologies. So. Oh! <laughs> yeah, that's true. Look, the Infinity series came to its conclusion for whatever reason, and it is now done. Infinity's End came out last year, and this is the first of two new science fiction books that I'm doing for Solaris. So, yes. Mission Critical well, I mean, will come I, out this July, and then another book probably around the same time next year. No, the, the, the idea of the, the, the idea, of the concept behind Mission Critical, which of course calls to mind a classic Hal Clement title, Close to Critical, which in turn calls to mind a classic tradition of science fiction stories, possibly the science fiction equivalent of the locked room mystery. I don't know. Uh, it's 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 a fascinating kind of thing that I think. Uh, 
like all other major themes in science fiction, is up to being reinvented. And one of the things I will gladly give you credit for as an editor is encouraging writers to reinvent familiar themes. Well, you know, you've got to give people room to do things, and there's always, there's always life in the old idea yet, Gary. And then, of course, as you say, I've delivered the final volume ever of the best science fiction fantasy of the year and and moving on to other projects. Well, we'll find out a little bit more about that. I've got – well, as long as we're mentioning things – You do have a project, don't you? I have a project coming out in August, which is um, the second two-volume set from the Library of America. Before I get to that, I want to mention something the Library of America is doing – I think earlier in the year, I don't know what the date on this, but they're doing the restored version of Ursula Le Guin's Always Coming Home, which they've been working with Brian Atterbury. They were working with Ursula before she died on it. So it will be a version of that novel which contains material no one has seen before. Um, my own project is uh, science fiction, eight classic novels from the 1960s, which has been in the works for some time now. Uh, I'm working on it right now. It's scheduled to come out in August. We'll probably talk more about it when it comes Definitely, close to yeah. it being time. Uh, but uh, the, the, the fact that the Library of America has pretty much wholeheartedly bought into the fact that science fiction is a significant and ongoing part of American literature is just generally, I think, good news. And I don't claim credit for that because they had done Philip K. Dick, they had done Lovecraft, they had done Le Guin, they've done uh, the, the Le Guin volume they'll have coming out will be the third or fourth Le Guin volume because they did Orsinian Tales, they did uh, two volume complete Hainish novels, and they'll be doing Always Coming Home now. Yeah. I, ha- I have to say, we- we've run through 40 or, f- 40 or 50 books. I don't know if we'll actually get a list onto the site, but mm. 40 or 50 books. And what strikes me most, apart from the fact that it's more reading than I can get through, is that. It's only a small scratch on the sur- surface of what's going to come out. We will end up at the, you know, the end of the year applauding these books, but books we've not even heard of yet, not even thought of yet. There are books which it's, aren't we, we don't have the schedule for for the last quarter mm-hmm. of the year yet. You know, uh, I just saw the other day in Locus that Gene Wolfe has delivered his next novel. Enter library alone, and that will come out at it's some point. A sequel to A Borrowed Man. There's a new Neil Stevenson novel coming out. There is. From, uh, if only I'd uh, read any of the last six. <laughs> I've read all of them, actually. I've been keeping up with them. And um, I don't know what the Subterranean Press book is, actually, Atmosphera Incognita. It's an extension of the story he did for that Catherine Kramer, Neil Stevenson anthology project, okay. Hieroglyph. Right. But the novel is called Fall or Dodge in Hell. Yep. From, from William Worrell. Um, it'll be a bestseller, I have no doubt. Uh, mm-hmm. it, his, 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 I will give Neil Stevenson credit. There's, his work is unpredictable except for one thing. That's there wrong. will be a lot of so, <laughs> yeah. But hey, people love his work. I, I loved what I read. I just have been put off by enormously long books. I found, I mean, I, I find him enormously readable. I find, I think there, there are novels that ought not to work. There are novels that are bloated, but page, I will give you an example, depending on how you want to pronounce it, either Read Me or Ream D, which is basically an espionage novel. Chapter by chapter, it's a page, it's a page turner. Yeah. It's, 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 not, uh, it's not a major contribution to science fiction or espionage literature, but he writes thrillers. He writes long thrillers. And as he himself would be the first to point out, if you want to go back and read – Les Miserables or, uh, or some of the classic uh, adventure novels, Victor Hugo and so forth and so on, they're 1,200 pages long too. So, Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of stuff out there, a lot of good reading. And obviously, well, I say obviously, that's probably not obvious to everybody. Obviously mm-hmm. as well, there are uh, lots of great short fiction coming out, lots of magazines to read and other kind of things. And we'll do what we can to keep you up to date with them. But for now, we have got over the top of our hour we've kind of got to the end of our lists i think unless you've got something else you want to touch on i think our listeners should probably advise us as to what we've overlooked or things we might not know about or things that we're just too dense to have picked up the importance of oh i'm sure i mean for example it occurs to me we didn't mention the silver wind by nina allen which will be out this coming year which will be it's a delightful right for that yes absolutely okay now i'm feeling terrible 
Now, there are all <laughs> kinds of things. I need to scroll through my list. There's a Rachel Swirsky woman. At the, is that a, is, that's, a, that's a novella, right? From yeah, I'm not sure that's coming out this year. We'll see. Oh, it's listed as August. I'm, yeah, I'm just see. looking. Okay, there are all kinds of things listed here, which we've completely overlooked irresponsibly. There's a new Joe Walton novel. I'm not going to try to go through all these things. But by and large, in the, a sequel to Molly Tanzer's novel, to go back to our historical fantasy thing. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff we've overlooked, and we just need to acknowledge that right now and abase ourselves before no, our No, 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 I don't think, no, no, no one wants abasing. We've given you stuff to get started with. The Cood Street Podcast will be with you through 2019 to talk about the books that are coming out. Okay. This is a great place to start. Here's 40 books. We'll try and get a list on the side if we can. Okay. Get onto your ver- your your go to your favorite book supplier and pre-order. Commit yourself. Read Infinite Detail. Read Gideon the Ninth. Read The City in the Middle of the Night. Read the new G, G-, G-, G- Willow Wilson book. Order the, the new Guy Gabriel K. Uh, order the new Al Reynolds. All these other kind of books, whatever they might be. The Nora Jemison, which I really am looking for. The, the, the point is, it looks like it's going to be a good year. Of course, it, will it be. looks like it's going to be an exciting year, and. Um, we don't. You're absolutely right. The thing that excites me every year is finding some book. Last year, River Solomon was my example of this. Some book by somebody I've never heard of, know nothing about at all, which is, turns out to be just terrific. Exactly. And at, given that the cats just walked into the room, that's a perfect time for me to to wind up and, and say. I think I think our pork roast is almost done. Oh, fantastic! That's perfect so timing. Perfect timing. Well, you enjoy your dinner with, with, with Dale, and I will talk to you again next week. All right. We will talk soon. Until then, good reading to everybody, and this has been the Coochie Podcast.